Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. I have a friend who shared a story with me about a trip that he took to the Naval Academy. I think there's someone in here. Has anybody been to the Naval Academy before? Okay, so you can tell me if this is accurate. Uh, he had a uh, he had a a a person who um, hosted them and kind of just shared everything about their trip. And as they were walking through, this guy says, "This was my story, my first year at the Naval Academy." And so he's the one who's who's walking around all these visitors, and he says. You walk into a mess hall, there's 4,400 people eating, and the way they eat is kind of family style. And so it's uh, food gets passed around. <clears throat> what food gets offered to you, you take it, is what he said. He said, so I refused broccoli three times. <laughs> and then during that refusal, this third time, a firstie, apparently, which is a senior midshipman, notices the last refusal of broccoli and stands up in front of everybody. It'd be like here, stands up and says, we have an emergency. And he looks at this midshipman who has refused the broccoli three times and says, midshipman Storm is in need of emergency assistance. He needs broccoli. And so the story goes, every single person in the mess hall stands up, comes over if I'm this person, sitting at a plate and puts broccoli in front of this person, one by one, all the way up until the story recounts, he had broccoli like up to his chin. (laughs) And one by one, each of those people starts to walk out of the door and they just leave. And so you imagine this person sitting here with all this broccoli on his plate and everyone's like just walking out the door. You guys are just checking out. See you, Evan. Enjoy the broccoli. But he's part of his first class, so he's, I guess, I don't know what they call that, but his class is still there. And as everyone's leaving in the commotion, as he's sitting there, he says, thinking about how in the world am I possibly supposed to eat all of this? One of his classmates stands up and says, Midshipman, we have someone in need of emergency assistance. He needs help eating his broccoli. And one by one. 1,100 of his classmates come and remove broccoli (laughs) from his plate. And they take it to the point where, at the end, this midshipman has no broccoli left on his plate. This midshipman then turns to this senior person and says, hey, why did you do that? And he said, I wanted to see if your class would become a team. James ends his letter to you and to me and to the churches he's writing to in a very similar way. I think what we read in the last section of James is going to be exactly the same thing where James is going to say, hey, church, hey, Grace Hill, y'all, y'all are a team. He uses a different word for that as we're going to read. He's going to use the word ecclesia. He's going to say it's church. It's your family together. We don't leave each other. And so as you turn to your Bible, if you would, James chapter 5, verse 12, we're going to read, and we're going to see that James is calling the churches, James is calling us, Grace Hill, to love one another the way God loves us, and God doesn't leave anybody in need, and neither should the church. 
James 5, verse 12. It'll be on the screen. But what I want to do is I want us to see, and the way we're going to see this played out this morning is really James is going to give us five specific areas that we'll look at. What does it mean to be a team? What does it mean to be a family together? How do we love one another? As God loves us, there's five places. And you're going to say it's going to be in our speech. It's going to be in how we pray for one another. It's going to be confession. It's going to be praise. It's going to be confession, and it's going to be restoration. Those are the ways that James is going to land his plane on this letter to the churches saying, here's what it looks like to love one another, to follow Jesus. And this whole book has been, what I've said has been about dirty theology, meaning like our faith is like a pair of shoes, right? And James has been really, really practical. James is going through so many different things. I don't have time to recount everything that James has walked us through, but all of it is about, hey, your faith is going to hit suffering. It's going to hit hard circumstances. It's going to hit different things in your own life of your struggles and things like that. And he's going to say, hey, that's okay. That's what it means to be a human following God here on earth. Your shoes are going to get dirty and so is your faith. And it's okay. God's with you and God's people are with you. So let's read our text and see how James closes out his letter. Verse 12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, I just ask that you would just help us to see as James finishes up this letter to these churches and the first Jewish Christian church, Father, that those would be the same words that Grace Hill hears this morning as encouraged by them to love each other the way you've loved us, God. Father, to be reminded that we're not alone and that these commands that James gives, Father, is for our good. And Father, help us in these places where maybe we're struggling to do this for one another. Maybe we're struggling in the ways that James is going to share with us what we should do with being a part of this family, this team, this church, God. And Father, above all, I just pray that we would see Jesus in this and be encouraged that our hope is securely fastened to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ himself. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're to love one another with our speech. Verse 12, we just jump right in. We see this and he's saying like, hey, don't swear. Don't don't use oaths as a church. And he's writing to people where this kind of thinking, this way of living would have been very, very like uh, normal. But like we don't use oaths. I don't know how many of us talk about that. I'm gonna make an oath with you and I'll be at your house next week. We just don't don't really say that. But we will say things like, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. 
yeah, I'll do that. Or sometimes maybe even go like, I, I, I swear I'll do it this time, as if my wife was asking me why I saw the laundry and just walked by it for the umpteenth thousandth time. I swear, Stacy, I'll do it next time. No, James says, brothers and sisters, that's not how we love one another. We don't talk to one another in that way. And here's the, here's the reality with this. What an oath shows is that there's some part of our speech, the way we would engage with one another, that has, that's more honest than others. And James is saying, don't do that. Don't separate conversation. Don't separate communication with each other in ways of going like, this time I really mean it. And here's an oath for that. He's saying, no, no, your yes should be yes and your no should be no. He's saying, listen, everything about love for one another comes down to this. Be honest. And therefore that honesty builds trustworthiness. It sounds really simple. James is saying, don't be flaky. Don't be flaky with your speech. Let it mean something. And I was thinking about that. Stacy and I, on our first like, time we were like, serious in our relationship, I don't know if we were married or if we were engaged at this time, but one of the things, and I don't know why we did this, we're not super mature people, but it's like, this was just one of the things as we read this, was like, oh man, do you remember this part? One of the gifts we said we wanted to give one another that we're not perfect in, but it was like, hey, we want that to be true. And when we say, it's like, hey, can I hang out with the dudes? And she goes, yes. Part of me is going, wait, okay, I did this and then, oh, I didn't do that. And like, oh, so she said yes, but I think she really means no because of all the other stuff that's happened today. Or vice versa, can I go hang out with the ladies? And I'm like, sure. And she's doing the same exact calculus to go, wait, does he really? And we're just going like, hey, we don't want to do that with each other. We want to give each other the freedom to live in our relationship with one another. That when we say yes, we mean it. We don't have to second guess. James is saying the same thing. The church, what it means to live life together and what it means to be a team, to be a family, is that we have honesty with one another. So if we say no, we really mean it. And if we say yes, we really mean it. Think of the gift that that really, really is when you think about that in your own life. Our communication with each other as a team, as a family, is really, really critical. And it's going to be vitally important that we see. That's why James starts here, because everything else builds off of this. If we can't trust one another, then the rest of this stuff, you might as well just, it's for the birds, man. Because if we can't trust one another, if we can't have honesty and trustworthiness with each other, then the rest of the things that James is going to say is going to be kind of a moot point. It's not going to really matter that much. One of the things I was thinking about with this just, is just in terms of communication speech and areas that I just recognize, like this is flakiness in my life with some of you in the church and other places. It's like with time. Like I'll say, hey, yeah, I'll be at the meeting at three o'clock and then it's 3.08. Some of you might be like, well, is that really? But like, right here, here's one of those places. Like, I'm, yeah, my intent is not to communicate with you that I don't care or don't value because I'm really ADD and have a lot of other stuff. That's partially true. But there's another part where I'm going, like, I'm learning that this is an area of flakiness in my life where it's like, my, when I say, yes, I'll be with you at three o'clock, I really work really hard that you believe that what I say, I'm going to do that. And that's just one of those things that immediately jumped up to me as I was thinking about what does it mean to have a, an environment where we say we want to be a safe place to be known. It's like, well, Man, one of those areas that I'm recognizing, like when I say I'm going to do something, I need to really work hard and be disciplined to say I'm going to be there at that time. And that doesn't mean we're not late for stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just going, that's a habit. And so, some of you might know me enough and go, yeah, he does that often. But right, that's another part. My yes be yes and our no be no. What would that look like? So we're to love one another with our speech. 
The second part is we're to love one another through prayer. All through these verses, you're going to notice, like prayer is mentioned seven times. Most sermons that come of this are going to be like, hey, this is all about prayer. And in one sense, it is absolutely about prayer. Prayer is seasoned all through this. But if you notice this, it's saying we're to love one another through prayer because he's saying, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone sick? Let them let the elders know. Let them pray. Is anybody struggling with sin? Confess it and then pray for one another. Over and over and over again, James is pushing prayer. Prayer is such a common thing. Sometimes in the church, I think we can kind of get gloss over with this and just go, yeah, okay, pray, pray, pray. I get it, I get it. But it's really important because James is taking a lot of time to say over and over again, pray for one another. What prayer does is it slows us down. Our love for one another, how do we show that? So we spend time thinking about one another. We spend time caring about what's going on. But there's another challenge with this that I think is hard for us. If anyone among you is, this means it's written to a group of people, not just an individual. Is anyone among you suffering? It'd be like if I were to ask right now and just turn to you guys and go, is anyone in here suffering? The answer I know is yes. But what's hard about this sometimes for all of us is it can be really hard to admit that, can't it sometimes? Do you ever feel like, maybe even right now as I'm talking about this, you're kind of thinking like, gosh, I hope he doesn't look at me. I hope, right? Like, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. It can be hard for us sometimes to admit that we're suffering. It's hard for me. And, you know, sometimes we can play this game of trying to, like, compare. Well, it's not as bad as so-and-so. It's not as bad as this. So I probably shouldn't share that with other people. And James, I love what he says with this. On both spots of suffering and in sickness, and the word for sickness, by the way, is certainly physical ailment, but it's also just weakness. Is anybody struggling? James gives such broad categories that he's not trying to get super specific to say, it better be this way, otherwise don't share it. He says, anyone suffering? Anyone struggling? Anyone feeling weak? Share it so that we might pray for one another. We love one another by praying for one another. You see some of this stuff, and I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time in this, but it says, let him call for the elders of the church. This is the first time James actually mentions the church, but what we should pull from that is the importance that he's saying. He's like, all of this is in the context of like that midshipman. All of us are a part of the same team together. Go to the elders. Yes, that doesn't mean you don't go to other people, but I was just referencing like, hey, there's this, there's this group you're a part of, and here's the leaders of that in a spiritual sense. Go to them, pray for them. They want to pray. They should pray for you. That's why we as elders even here, like if we want to know what's going on so we can pray for you. We have a prayer ministry that wants to pray for you, but we've got to let one another know. And so there's just a, there is a genuine challenge here for all of us. Are we willing to share our burdens? Maybe another question is, why would you not share with the family of God? Why would you not do that? James, as a pastor, is calling us to remember the care that God provides for one another through one another, all of us sitting here this morning. Now, there's prayer, there's oil, there's all this stuff, and so they can kind of get a little funky on this, but here's the reality of this as you're like kind of looking through it. Well, hey, man, as you exegete this, what does this mean here? Are we supposed to anoint with oil? And here's the deal. Scholars love to argue about all this stuff, and I'm just going to make this point. Oil is not the focus of this. 
There's nothing wrong with it. There's no special power to oil, but he's simply saying as a means of grace to that, which was used in that time, whether it was medicinal or just ceremonial, it would, either of those, it doesn't matter. Use it. So if we were to use it, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But the power is not in the oil. The power is in the one to whom we pray to. And so we pray. And if you anoint with oil, that's fine. <laughs> so end of story. That's all we need to do. You don't have to read 300 pages of all the arguments for that, okay? I want to save you a little bit of time here. Here's another interesting one that I find very interesting. It makes sense that we want to pray for one another in our suffering and our sicknesses and things like that. But here's the other part. He says, we love one another by singing praises. This isn't just Mel leading us in worship every week, though that is a huge part of it. There's a part of this. And I don't know if you would think about it this way. How often... If it's hard for us to share our struggles, I think it's often even harder sometimes to share the victories that we have. Is anyone cheerful in the room? I know the answer is yes. What does James say? What's he say? If anyone's cheerful, what do we do? What's he do? Answer it. You can say it a little louder. Sing praise. Sing praise. Is that a culture that we have as a family to celebrate the victories of one another in this? Or is it similar to our sufferings at times where we go, well, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. Man, Grace Hill, there's some of this stuff that I think is challenging. James is writing this to people just like us who I think can minimize everything in their life and go, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, that's not that big of a deal. I don't want to make too much. Oh, I don't want to make it about me. And James is saying, if anyone is cheerful, let's praise the Lord together. Oh, church, what a gift it is to celebrate victories with one another. I remember one of my best friends in high school, his mom got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and my dad got diagnosed with vocal cord cancer at the exact same time in high school or college, I think, actually. And so this kind of ties both of these things together in just a real-world example. My friend Daniel, I love, we love each other. And just grieving, both of us, is super sad. Just didn't know what to do. We are just young guys trying to figure this out, trying to trust the Lord together. And we're like, we're just gonna pray for each other. And, and we did, and we get together, and six months later, his mom's dead. To this day, my dad's still alive. Now, here's the thing both of us praying for each other. And I remember Daniel looking at me with tears one time saying, I'm so happy for you, bro. And it was gutting to me because I was like, this feels so unfair right now, Lord. Why am I the one that has the happy ending that seemingly, and he has this deep, deep scar, this wound that you didn't seem to heal. And yet my brother, Daniel, looked at me and he hugged me and he embraced me in his own tears and sadness, but still with his own joy, there was hope. And he told me, he goes, I still have hope, man. The Lord's, the Lord's still good. And I, even though I don't understand why he didn't answer my mom, but he, he answered and healed her, but he healed your dad seemingly. But the thing is about cheerfulness and hope and victories and things like that, is it's not just for us. It's for one another too. I remember Daniel in his grief, finding hope in the midst of seeing that God's not silent. God's not distant. God's still at work, even if we don't always know exactly what he's going to do or how he's going to do it. And that's the thing about prayer. That's the thing about suffering. That's the thing about our victories is each one of those things as a church, as a team together, points us back to the one we serve who says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Pray for one another. Share your victories. Share your struggles. 
And just the question is, how good are we at doing that? And I think to the degree upon which we do do that is the degree upon which we understand the goodness of our Savior. To the degree that we understand and live this way with one another is to the degree upon which we understand the love of our Savior. We are to love one another through confession. So we've seen all these places that we pray, pray, pray for this, pray for our suffering, but we need to pay a close attention to this part too. And this one's a little uncomfortable as well because now we're talking about sin struggles and it's like, well, I, maybe, maybe we were okay with the suffering. Maybe we were okay with the struggles and the sicknesses, but now you want to talk about my lust issues. Now you want to talk about my greed issues. Now you want to talk about, oh gosh, like it's like James just kind of continues to come at us over and over again. And you're like, I could deal with broccoli, but now you're talking about something you know, a little more personal to me. But again, guys, we've got to rem be reminded that confession to one another comes all the way back to the very beginning of how we speak to one another and the ways that we're honest with one another. Confession points us back to the grace and mercy of God. So rather than being a drag, <laughs> this is meant to be wind in our sails, hope for the journey that all of us are on. None of us is immune to sin and struggle. None of us. And how many of us wrestle with that? How many of us have a hard time even just confessing when we've messed up to someone? And I love what some of the scholars are saying, like, hey, he just, there's no, there's, there's no accident that he talked about speech. Like, hey, if I've messed up with one of you, I should come right to you and say, hey, will you forgive me for that? We should immediately go to one another and confess our sins, especially if someone here is the one that we've sinned against. But we should also share those burdens and those struggles that we've said that we can be so easily deceived, which is what James has spent his whole letter on. Man, do you trust the world's ways or do you trust God's ways? And where we struggle, we confess those and we receive hope and mercy because we're reminded of the grace of God. Some of you might be wondering, like, why is verse 17 in there where he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours? And all of this is his final example of how to love one another the way God loves us. How are we to pray? We're to pray like Elijah did. Most of the people that were reading this would know exactly who Elijah, Elijah was like a superhero in back in the day. Like everybody, all the Jewish people would have known exactly who Elijah was. And the point was, as he spends this time praying in the Old Testament, there's a story where he prays and there's no rain for three and a half years. And he prays again. And all of a sudden the floodgates open up and it's this amazing story of judgment and God showing up and all of these things. And everybody's in awe of Elijah and he's the one that ascends, come, appears with Jesus and all these things. And so people are like, Elijah is someone different than us. What does James say? Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Do you know how much of an encouragement James meant for this to be? He meant for this to land right in our laps to go, no, he's just like you. And his prayers were heard by God. Heaven opened up and received his prayers and responded Likewise, that means you and I, our righteousness is only found in Christ, the same as Elijah's, nothing different. So if our entire focus and hope is centered on the person of Jesus, as we pray, that is the righteousness he speaks of. 
a righteousness that is not our own, but it's the righteousness of Christ himself that's been given to you and I, just like Elijah had, it's just like we have. And so when we pray, our prayers have the same power as we read about with Elijah. And that would have been a tremendous shot in the arm for people. It's it's not like if Michael Jordan showed up right now and he stood in here and he's like, one is not like the other. Evan is 5'8", Jordan is 6'6". He's won national championships, world championships. I've won none. And none of you would ever be like, well, y'all are kind of the same. You'll be, no, you're not even close. But Elijah walks in and he has an even more impressive resume and James is going, but guess what? You are like him. Because guess what? Your hope is centered around Christ and the righteousness that you have is the prayer of faith that goes forward has the same power. That is how we should think and view our prayer for one another. Boy, what love do we have to give for each other if that is true about our prayers? Whether or not we know the answers or the outcomes of that, they're all coming from the same source, God himself. What a gift. He hears prayers just like yours in mind. This isn't a throwaway example, friends. This shouldn't be a throwaway example for you and me this morning either. And the last one is we are to love one another by our pursuit of restoration. Doubt and wandering. James finishes his letter with what I think some have argued to be abrupt, just 19 and 20, and he's like, I'm out. <laughs> it's a little abrupt. James' letter is a little hard to follow, if I'm honest. James closes, in my opinion, James closes with the most hopeful, hopeful tone possible that any of us could read at any point in time and anywhere in the Bible. Do you know why? Because he ends with the gospel. Let's read that. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James writes earlier, he says, don't be deceived, you guys. Grace Hill, don't be deceived. Church, don't be deceived. All of us are going to endure trials and suffering. That's the beginning of James chapter one. Each of us is gonna go through difficulty. And yet Jesus says that you will receive the crown of life if you put your faith and trust into me. And so too will the one who leads someone back from their wandering. James uses the word wandering and I love it. It's for every one of us in the room. This isn't like a conditional statement where it's like, hey, only one of you in this room is going to wander. No, no, no. Wandering is an active tense where it says, hey, like I see God here and I walk this way. But wandering is also in a passive sense where it's like, I'm here and then I'm led astray by some sort of teaching. I'm deceived by some sort of just teaching and, and, and following someone else. And so you can, you can be passively led away or you, can be, or you can actively wander away. And he is saying, all of us wander. It's not just if. Every one of us in this room, if you are in this church and you believe in Jesus, you once wandered. And we're still prone to that. Some of the greatest artists and lyricists of all time have penned lyric around what this ending of what James lands for us is saying. Robert Robinson writes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Or if your persuasion is more Mumford and Sons, and now my heart stumbles on things that I don't know, my weakness I, I feel must I finally show. Awake my soul, 
or my favorite, Sushan Stevens. Hello, wildness. Please forgive me now for the heartache and the misery I create. Take my suffering as I take my vow. Wash me now. Anoint me with that golden blade. It is in every single human being to wander. And this is what I meant by this is the greatest news possible where it says this is the gospel. What did Jesus do for us? What did he do for us? This is participation. What did Jesus do for us? You can say it out loud. It's okay. He what? Okay. What else did Jesus do? He died on a cross. What else did Jesus do? Where, where was he at one point? He came to us. Jesus came to find us. Is it fitting that James ends what the church should do together in his letter? That we should go find one another? Is that not the gospel? Jesus came down into heaven and the world he created. We even sang that song. He came down as we were wandering about away from him. Some of us rejecting him outright. Others just oblivious and ignorant to him. And Jesus came to find us hiding in the bushes. Jesus came to find us ultimately open rebellion against him. He came to find us and restore us. And is it not any surprise that James says, you who have been restored, you who have been redeemed, you family who are with one another, you go and do the same. Go find each other. Of that. Jesus gave an example of one sheep goes off and he leaves the 99. Grace Hill, we're to go after one another. No one in the church, hear me on this, no one in the church is supposed to be lonely. No one. I'm not saying we do that perfectly. Gosh knows the church has lots and lots of foibles. But listen, the church, according to James and according to the New Testament, everything is going, no one should be lonely. No one should be left alone. Now that doesn't mean that they'll respond to us. That's not in our control. But what it does mean is we go after the one. We go after each other. Galatians 6.1 says, if anyone's caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Go after James is showing us how vital the community is to keep one another, not from just small deaths, but from these huge deaths that leave us away from an ultimate spiritual separation from God. And so listen, church, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came for us and the good news of the church is that we go for one another just like the God who came for us. That's what we're to do. James 1.15 in the beginning says, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And friends, we go after the one. We go after each other with gentleness, with mercy and compassion, with curiosity. That's why we use that word so often. Not with judgment, not with telling them all these things they're supposed to do. But we go, hey, come back. Come back over and over and over again, which is the same way that Jesus himself woos us back to him. It says in Romans, his kindness leads us to what? Repentance. As we close our time, I want to give you a literal picture 
of what the ending of James, but more importantly, I think what the church really is. I want you to have a picture, and I would love for this just to get seared into every one of your minds when you think of Grace Hill, when you think of any church you're a part of, when you read the scriptures, and any time you think of it, I want this picture on the screen to be what you think of. Go ahead and put that picture up there. You're like a tree. Anybody know what kind of trees those are? Good job. Technically, they're sequoia redwoods, but I'll give him. Redwood trees in Grace Hill Church. These redwood trees are some of the biggest trees in the world. And redwoods, you would imagine, some of you may know this, but do you think redwoods, they're like 200, 300 feet high? you would imagine that their root systems are incredibly deep, right? The stunning thing, actually a marvel, I think, about redwood trees is that they have a unique root system. And so does the church. Obviously, we're centered on Christ and his word. But the church, what James has been showing us, what does it mean to love one another? It's supposed to look like redwood trees, their root system. Though the roots are relatively shallow, there's no tap root to anchor them deep in the root. The, the roots only go down roughly six feet. And yet these magnificently tall trees rarely ever fall over. They withstand strong winds, earthquakes, fires, storms, and prolonged flooding. So how can something that weighs up to 500 tons stay anchored when they're only roughly six feet in depth? Anybody have any guesses? Everybody look at Kathy Matson's hands. If you can't see them, they're intertwined with one another. All of those trees are intertwined with one another. Beneath the surface of these monster trees are roots like an army of people, roots like Grace Hill Church, like you and me and everyone who's sitting around each other. They're locked together, promising to the best of their ability, like their Savior said, to never leave or forsake one another. They're locked together, no matter what their stories are, no matter where they've come from, no matter what's going on inside of them right now, what's going on in them or outside of them or what will happen to them in the future, they are locked together, intertwined forever. And so they stand with one another and love one another in their speech. They're locked together in prayer with one another over and over again for the suffering and sicknesses, that they're not alone in those places. Like many sick people are, are literally physically alienated, not able to come. You go towards them. We pray for one another. Then we're intertwined. We don't leave people. In confession of sin, when someone's wandering off, hey, no, 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 you're not wandering off because you're still intertwined. There's people who know your name. There's people who know your story. There's people who love you. And there's people who are aching for you to turn and look at Jesus again. And they're gonna give you all the time in the world because they're not going anywhere. And that reminds you and I again what the gospel has done, what Jesus himself has done. He's not left us. He's come for us. 
and he's faithful. So as we wrap up, we're going to take communion together. And I want that to just stay on the screen for a while. Because as you come up and take of the elements this morning, what I want you to think about and reflect on and give thanks for and to press into wherever you feel a challenge is going Where is it that you kind of think about your faith in just an individual context, where it's just like about you and the Lord? And be honest. I'm not going to ask anybody to answer that question out loud. I just want you to look at that and go like, how often does it feel like you're a tree standing in a forest where no other trees are around, and it's just you and God? And listen, what I'm not saying is that there's not some individual part of that, but I'm just going, like, when you think about your faith, how often is it just in an individual context? How often maybe do you think about that as you're intertwined through the blood of Jesus with a family who've all been recipients of the same grace? I want to pray for you. I want to care for you. I want to hear from you. And you come up and you take of the bread and the juice this morning. You remember this is what Jesus has done. This is what his blood has bought Jesus' blood was spilled to redeem us and to form us into his family. And just like the midshipmen, they all came and grabbed the broccoli off the plate. We're to come and grab whatever it is to try to help lessen the burdens of one another as well. That's what Jesus bought for us together. That's what the church is supposed to be like. And friends, that's what Grace Hill is like and continuing to grow into. I want you to come. I want you to take of our elements. And I want you to remember the one who has come and he shed his blood and, 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 and gave his life for you. Yes, remember that. We're supposed to remember that every time we come to the table, that Christ's sacrifice on our behalf bought us right relationship with him. And it also bought us into a family that reminds us of that very love and is called to give that love through our speech, through our prayer, through our praise through our confession, and through our pursuit of restoration with one another. And that's what the world gets to see on display. Not perfect people, but committed people, a loving people, a gracious people, looking to the one who has covered all of their sins and forgiven them. So friends, I just want you to come to the table when you're ready. Take some time. You can take it back to your seat. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for the end of James. Father, just a super, super practical letter in so many ways. It just lays out over and over again all the ways that we fall short. And always points us back to you in every way of the things that we should be doing, not because we need to earn right standing with you, God, but because, Father, we've been redeemed. And Father, we can follow you now, God. But Father, we know that that journey to follow you on this side of heaven is one that is wrought with lots of difficulties. But Father, you use those difficulties to show us more of yourself and 
what you've done for us and in through us and what you've brought together, God. And so, Lord, I'm just really thankful that we get the privilege, not perfectly, but, Lord, imperfectly, to seek to love one another the way you have loved us. And, God, week after week, month after month, and year after year, we get that opportunity to be in one another's lives, sharing our burdens, sharing our stories, sharing the things that have happened to us or things that we have done. Father, all of those things that, in the light of your grace, God, get showered with more and more grace. I love in chapter four where James says, but you give more grace. And Father, we grow up into that so we continue to follow you and trust you and obey you more and more, not less and less, God. And Father, we're just thankful that you've come for us. And so as we come to the table this morning, certainly, God, we come and we take of you and we remember what you have done for us, that Jesus has given his life for us, has taken our place and absorbed the wrath of God against our sin. And Father, called us into a family now where we get to show other people that kind of love, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of grace and mercy, that kind of commitment, Lord, that the entire world is looking for, but seeking it in all the wrong places, God. And Lord, help us just to be a church that humbly and consistently shows your grace and love the way you've shown that to us. Father, we pray that many in Herndon and Northern Virginia would come to this saving faith that would come into this community and that would see the love of Jesus and experience the love of Jesus through the relationships, Lord, that you bought with your own blood. What life-giving relationships those are, God. Help us more and more in that, Father, as we continue to journey together. In Jesus' name, amen.